As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast here on Tuesday, September 21st. Michael Beller and Derek Van Riper are going to take you through another one of our episodes with our team of beat writers. DVR, how you doing on this fine, fine Tuesday, my friend? Doing great. Decent week in fantasy, hanging in there. Didn't take a strike yet in Survivor, so I'm about as happy as I can be for uh, the start of week three. I tempted fate last week when we were on our Survivor show saying this is the easiest week of Survivor I can ever remember in my life having these three awesome double-digit teams to choose from. And hey, they all came through with flying colors, Browns, Bucks, and Packers on Monday Night Football doing that for us. So uh, that was nice. And I agree with you there. Uh, felt like a good week to uh, just take that easy win and move on. But that's a story for another day, specifically tomorrow. Today's story, we are getting into uh, uh, more work with our beat writers. We've got three beat writers joining us again today on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. The first of those beat writers is Jay Morrison. Jay, our Bengals beat writer here at the Athletic. Jay, what's going on? Hey, just another Tuesday after a loss for the Cincinnati Bengals. Feels like a familiar feeling, even though the arrow <laughs> maybe is pointing up for this franchise. Yeah. And Jay, a lot of that uh, pointing up over the last couple of years has been based on Joe Burrow. I am heavily invested in Joe Burrow in the fantasy football world. And I wanted to get invested in him, Jay, because I thought there was going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of passing. Just 57 attempts through the first two games of the season. Where has all that expected volume gone? Um, into the arms of Joe Mixon. Uh, this team, I mean, they they knew they threw it way too much last year, and we we expected to see a reduction. I, I don't know anybody expected it to be uh, this low of a volume. You know, week one against Minnesota, that was a career low in pass attempts for Joe Burrow. And yeah, he's you know he only played ten games last year. It's not like this, there's this big long career 
sample to go off of, but still it, it's noticeably lower. That's, that's what this team wants to be. They want to, they want to have all of the passing games set up off of the run and they've stayed committed. It, it didn't start great against Minnesota. They stuck with it. It paid off in the end. Joe Mixon really got things going in the, in the second half. Didn't work that way in Chicago. They stuck with it and it, they just never got it going. And I, I think we're going to see more of it. I mean, even though that they've, they've lowered the number of times they're dropping Joe back to pass, he's still getting hit a lot. I mean, 16 quarterback hits already, nine sacks, not what anybody wants. So I, I don't think this is the time that we're going to see Zach Taylor start throwing more with Joe Burrow. So, Jay, Joe Mixon, who you mentioned, has, uh, is one of three players with 40 carries and 40 routes run already through the first two games. The others, not surprisingly, Christian McCaffrey and Delvin Cooks. So they weren't kidding about Joe Mixon just not coming off the field. His previous career high in receptions is 43. Is there a chance that he actually pushes that number over the course of this season? I know he's more involved as a pass catcher in week one than in week two, but is that going to be part of the script for Mixon going forward? Yeah, I think it will. He was on pace last year to to break that record um, in, in targets and catches, receiving yards, all of that. And then he, he suffers the injury in week six, and he he was out for the year. And they've, they've been open this year about how much more they want to use him even than they did last year and keep him on the field on third down. And that's not always been the case. They've been running some AJP right in, or they did a lot against Minnesota. Joe had was more of a, a three-down back mm-hmm. against Chicago. But yeah, I, I I would think if your quarterback's getting hit as much as Joe Burrow is, that maybe some checkdowns or some screens or anything, get Joe Mixon the ball in space any way you can is a way to kind of slow down that opponent, opposing pass rush um, that instead of what we saw a lot of, although this helps Joe Mixon as well, against Chicago, the Bengals went empty a lot. It put five wide, five receivers out there. A lot of times it was Joe Mixon in the slot or even out wide a couple times. Um, he's, I, I think he's going to set a career high in touches, period. Not just catches, but rushes, touch, touches, and if things go according to plan, in yards as well. Certainly looking that way for Joe Mixon. And uh, you know, maybe some of those uh, dump-offs, some of those screens, some of those design pass plays for Mixon can help the receivers get going by taking some of the pressure off of uh, Joe Burrow in the pocket. Back in uh, July, you and I talked before training camp got going, and I asked you then, you know, looking ahead, if you had to guess, who do you think ultimately is the most productive receiver among Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd? Now that you've seen two games, I want to ask you exactly the same question, Jay. From this point forward, after what you've seen, after you've, how you've seen these three guys get used in conjunction with one another, Chase versus Higgins versus Boyd, who ultimately gives us the most bottom line production this season? I guess it depends on how you define production. I mean, just total catches. Is it? I mean, I think Tyler Boyd is still going to be the guy on third down. He's just he's so good at that, and we saw that Joe Burrow lean on him a lot Sunday in Chicago that way, but. Jamar Chase might be the guy. Everybody had the questions about the drops. He answered those just without question in week one. I mean, he sets a a Bengals franchise record for yards in a debut. He catches a 50-yard touchdown pass. He gets another 42-yard touchdown pass against Chicago on a day when they really couldn't get anything over the top. Um, I I thought it was going to be a toe dipping in the water kind of thing where they, you know, it was taking, it would take him a while to kind of get going. And, and T Higgins just looked like this, this new guy. He came in this year, looked bigger, stronger, really 
committed himself in the offseason to, to looking that way. He had a good rapport with Burrow last year, but early on, it looks like that, that LSU connection with Burrow and Chase is, is really just picking right back up where it left off. And um, if, if that's the case right off the jump, who knows what it's going to look like by midseason, by the end of the season. It, it, if you had to ask, if you ask me now, I, I'm going to change my mind from July. I'm going to say Jamar Chase might be the guy that leads him in receptions and receiving yards and possibly receiving touchdowns. That's really interesting. He turns out to be a pretty nice value in fantasy leagues if that holds up over the course of the season. How much from these first two games can we take as a blueprint for what this Cincinnati offense is going to do? What do you think they've done really well that actually sticks consistently as we move forward? I think sticking with the run, it, it, this team has been, especially this coaching staff since they've been here, they've been very quick to abandon it. Um, I think that's an important aspect, and the defense lets them do that. This defense is is much improved. It really is surprisingly so. And they, you know, that game was ugly on Sunday, and then all of a sudden it goes from twenty to three to twenty to seventeen. They find themselves in it. No way can they stick with the run game if the defense doesn't hold Chicago's offense down. Um, I just, I, if there's not a lot they've done well, but I, I think that's going to be it is just getting that balance in there and keeping sticking with Joe Burrow or sticking with Joe Mixon running the ball. I, I don't know that we're going to see much different in week three against Pittsburgh. This is the third week in a row. They've just, they've played a defense with an elite front and they really have to be worried about the, the pounding that Joe Burrow takes. And, I think, you know, Pittsburgh's going to look at the, the game plan Chicago had and, and, and mimic that. And I just think the only way to offset that is to to try to get Mixon going in the running game and to, to try to maybe get Joe Burrow out of the pocket. It sounds counterproductive if you don't want him to take hits to get him on the run, but just move the pocket, give the defense some sort of different look, some more screens, some more misdirection, anything they can to slow down that pass rush because Pittsburgh's might be one of the best in the league. Yeah, you said it. Another elite front for this Cincinnati offense to face and maybe the best that they faced to date this season. And that could even hold if TJ Watt is indeed out for this game after he suffered an injury in week two. What are your early expectations for this big matchup in Pittsburgh on Sunday? I think it's going to look a lot like Sunday's game in Chicago, a low scoring game, maybe first one to 20 wins. Um, I just... This Bengals deep, the Steelers offense hasn't looked great, and this Bengals defense has looked really good. So I I feel confident that it's not going to be a shootout. It's it's going to be one of those old school AFC North grinded out run game defense type of game. Um, the the question is, you know, any any game like that can turn into a high scoring game if the if the defenses are so dominant that they're forcing turnovers and giving the offense the ball on the plus side of the field. Um, that that's that's always in play when the Bengals play the Steelers. They they seem to turn the ball over a lot when they when they play them. But I, I do I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be low scoring. If you have other fantasy options, you might want to look a, another direction um, because I don't think we're, you're going to see Joe Burrow throw it all over the field against Pittsburgh. That would that would be insane. Um, with with their defensive front. So maybe Mixon's a good play. I, I, Jamar Chase might still be a good play because mm -hmm. it's just the way that, that Burrow has really looked at him early. But I, I do. I think it's going to be a, a grinded out kind of the antithesis of what the, the NFL is these days with all these explosive offenses and high scoring games. This one's going to be a mutter. Yeah, it definitely feels that way with the way that these two offenses and frankly, the two defenses have been playing thus far this season. That's Jay Morrison covering the Bengals for us at The Athletic and also 
Be sure to check out Hear That Podcast, Growlin' as well with Jay Morrison and Paul Daner Jr. Jay, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Sure thing. Great talking to you guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We continue on here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, another one of our beat writer editions. Now we move over to San Francisco where we check in on the 49ers with our 49ers beat writer, Matt Barrows. Matt, how are you doing on this Tuesday? I'm doing well. Uh, back from a long, uh, exhausting road trip. So uh, if I'm this tired, I wonder how the 49ers are feeling after uh, being uh, away from home for 10 days, really. And yeah. um, Kyle Shanahan was talking about that. Uh, they have done well on their two-day, uh, two-game road trips to the East Coast in the past, but uh, they felt it in that that third game back, the mm-hmm. game after it. So uh, that's going to be uh, a bit of a question mark um, rolling into Green Bay this week. Yes, yeah, certainly did well. Get the win against the, the Lions in week one. Stay out east. Get a win against the Eagles in week two. And now back home in California. And they're back home with a completely new look backfield. Of course, we know Raheem Mostert suffers the season-ending injury in week one. Uh, Trey Sermon inactive in week one. Then gets the concussion in week two. Eli Mitchell has a starring role in week one. He gets a little bit banged up in week two. Tell us about what this backfield looks like now going into week three and in a world where these guys are all healthy. Who is the lead guy as much as Kyle Shanahan has a lead guy? Yeah, I I think it is Mitchell. Um, And I I think if there's any good news coming out of Philadelphia, it's that uh, Mitchell was the least injured of those guys. Um, He seemed to suffer a a stinger in that right shoulder. It happened on that that touchdown that was taken away from him. Uh, He was actually down at the at the half yard line, but uh, lowered his shoulder and, and drove a, a linebacker into the end zone um, and then uh, was on the bench. And I was watching him and he was sort of working out the arm. I think he, he probably lost sensation in that right arm a little bit. That's what makes me think it was a uh, uh, a stinger. And then he came back into the game. Uh, so I, I think that's a positive sign. Uh, the 49ers are hopeful that he plays. And if he does play, he's he's the guy to start. Um, he'll probably get the lion's share of the carries. And so from working backwards from that, uh, Trey Thurman suffered a a concussion at the end of the game. Um, He's more iffy, but he's still a possibility to play against Green Bay. Uh, Jermichael Hasty is out. He's got a a high ankle sprain. So now we're talking about, um, you know, Trenton Cannon, a a guy that only came in to the team on on Wednesday of last week. They didn't think that he was going to do anything but – it was almost a, a bit of a surprise that he was up for special teams. That was going to be his role, and, and he was pressed into service um, at, at that point as well. 
And then they just signed a guy, uh, Jaquez uh, Patrick, off of the Bengals practice squad. He's interesting. Um, looks a lot different than any other back that they have. He's he's somebody who's up around 230-plus pounds, a tall guy. Uh, looks like some of these uh, these these bigger backs, Leonard Fournette type of uh, backs, and uh, so it's it's I, I haven't seen him in action. I can't tell you very much about him. Only that you know the highlights uh, show him ha- having a little bit better wheels than you would expect somebody that size to have. So I don't think that the outside zone stuff that they do uh, is necessarily prohibitive for him. Uh, he, he's going to be interesting because the 49ers have been adopting a more more of a uh, a smash mouth um, style, I think, over the last off season. You know, when, when you get Trey Lance in there, you you, you have the receivers, uh, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, already have that to their game. So this guy would uh, uh, supposedly sort of uh, bring more of that. Let's start talking about the pass catchers for a moment. We'll begin with Brandon Ayuk. What is going on with his usage here in these first two games? Played 37 snaps, was only targeted twice against the Eagles. I think there are some fantasy managers out there that are wondering if they should actually consider dropping him if they have to go out and make a move for somebody else. I would not if I was a, a fantasy manager. I mean, um, his he's the most talented guy on the team. Obviously, there, there, there's something there where the, the 49ers are looking uh, for more from him. And I think Debo Samuel is a big part of that. I mean, Samuel had a really strong training camp. Um, he was a, a man on, uh, on a mission this summer in, in wanting to, to stay healthy. That's been an issue for him. Uh, wanting to add the, the deep ball to his game. He, he didn't want to be typecast as sort of one of these, uh, short catch and run type of guys. Uh, they basically used him as a like a running back back in 2019. So he, he wanted to show that he had more to his game than how they'd been using him, and, and he's delivered. And he's created a really strong chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo because of that. Um, I was just looking at the stats, and he's been targeted in these games more than any other uh, wide receiver other than uh, Cooper Cup on the Rams, uh, as far as the percentage of, of their team's um, passing uh, game. Um, so uh, my point is that uh, Garoppolo and Debo Samuel are very much in sync, and Garoppolo and Brandon Ayuk aren't at this point. And that, that has to do with Ayuk not having as strong a training camp, uh, having had a, a late training camp hamstring strain that, that kept him out of a lot of practices. The rapport uh, just hasn't been built up. And so that's what the 49ers are. People have been parsing all of Shanahan's quotes on this on this topic because there are so many fantasy owners out there who are relying on Brandon Ayuk. Uh, but I, I think that's what's behind some of what Shanahan is saying. He mm-hmm. wants Ayuk to get to that Debo Samuel level. And um, if they did, uh, that would be something for that passing game. They would be really strong with those two plus mm-hmm. George Kittle. Um, and and my, my sense is that uh, as as hard as they've been riding Debo Samuel, it's just not um, sustainable for a 17-week season. So I, I think Ayuk has to. I mean, it's necessary for him to step up and become a bigger part of this game because I don't. I just don't see Debo Samuel being able to do it for 17 straight weeks. 
Yeah, you don't do what Brandon Ayuk did last season and then the very next year just fade into oblivion on that same team. So Brandon Ayuk is someone who I can tell you I will be going and checking on every single one of my leagues to see if maybe I can pry him away in a trade. Let's talk about George Kittle. Nine targets through the first two games, uh, When you, especially when you look at the Philadelphia game and we know what the brand of offense San Francisco is going to run. I think you could excuse a nine-target run across two games. If I'm a George Kittle manager, what I'm concerned about is the fact that he's run 45 pass routes that's tied for 17th among tight ends, and it's 45 pass routes on 60 Jimmy Garoppolo dropbacks. And so that's maybe where I get a little bit concerned. Is that a reason for concern with what you've seen? Um, you know, the the Eagles game was strange. Uh, they, they The Eagles were playing a very soft coverage. They were dropping their linebackers, you know, uh, 15 yards down the field on some place. So all of those sort of over the middle routes, you know, the, the, the routes on which Kittle made his bones back in 2018, you know, you know, catch the ball on the run and then cut it upfield for an 80 yard touchdown. They just weren't there. And, and that was true for, for most of the game. I mean, there was one route like that, that Debo Samuel ran and he got a 40 yard gain at the end of the half. Other than that, we're, we're talking like 10 yards was, was the longest play of the game. The 49ers were trying to take advantage of that coverage with, a lot of screenplays, a lot of those were to Kittle. Um, you know, one good sign is that uh, he was targeted four times, caught four, four catches. They were all really small gains because it was mostly screen stuff. And that was true for, for everybody on the team. That was just the way that the, the, the game played out. I think he's going to have a lot more uh, opportunities against Green Bay. And uh, like Ayuk, if he's available in, in your fantasy team, uh, that would be a very nice pickup. So... Uh, I would not. Uh, I would not abandon George Kittle. Uh, it has been a slower than expected start to the season, but uh, I, I think that's going to pick up uh, against the Packers. I'm with you on the uh, reaching out and trying to trade for George Kittle in your leagues right now. If you don't yes. already have a great tight end situation, I think a lot of people have been wondering for weeks: Is there a realistic path for Trey Lance to overtake Jimmy Garoppolo? Anytime soon, we saw Lance play four snaps in that opener against the Lions. He did not get on the field against the Eagles in week two. Where do things stand with the ongoing quarterback saga in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo as the main guy for the foreseeable future. I mean, the the path is via injury or some really bad play from Garoppolo. And, and he's played well through two games. It's not sensational. Um, he, he has no... Uh, interceptions over these first two games and that's that's uh, a headline in San Francisco because he has thrown a lot of picks and I think that's part of uh, Kyle Shanahan's frustration with him is that uh, that hasn't gone away over the the four seasons that he was there and uh, this one is starting out a lot better um, uh, you know zero snaps against the Eagles I, I can easily see it being 15 snaps against the Packers. I mean, Shanahan is using this as sort of a, a weapon, and he's kind of using it in places where he wants to surprise teams. Um, and um, this would be a, a really good team to, to use it against. I mean, the, the Packers, um, you know, use the same offense. So they're they're not going to be taken by, you know, one of the advantages the, the 49ers have is that they run this, this outside zone, and, and teams that aren't familiar with it have a hard time with it. Um, you know, they can only practice three days uh, in the run-up to the game, and that's really not enough to get well-versed in, in stopping that style of rushing attack. The Packers play that offense, so the Packers' defense knows ostensibly how to play it. Well, they didn't do a very good job in the, in the 2019 
uh, playoffs against it. But my point is that um, uh, using the the read option stuff that they can do with Lance uh, against the Packers, I think, would be an advantage. And, and frankly, I'd be surprised if it's another no-show for Lance uh, against Green Bay on Sunday. What else are we looking for in this? It's one of a number of marquee games that we have on week three, a really, really good slate. Any other expectations you have early on in the week looking ahead to this big matchup with the Packers? Just that it's, um, you know, it's it's a better matchup for the 49ers offense than, than the Eagles was. I mean, I, I think it'll be more of uh, what you saw in week one against the Lions as, as far as, uh, uh, you know, bigger games from, from Garoppolo, from Samuel, from George Kittle from whoever that that running back is and and you know early on we're, we're recording this on Tuesday uh my guess is that it's going to be Elijah Mitchell but um so you know if you do have Mitchell on your team I, I think that's a that's a strong matchup in this game yeah that definitely feels like one where I mean anyone who leads a Kyle Shanahan backfield is going to be someone who you want in your lineup and again this a very very fun matchup Sunday night football between the 49ers and the Packers in week three that's Matt Barrows covering the 49ers for us here at the athletic Matt thanks again for being with us on the fantasy football pod no problem thanks for having me on all right we got one more beat writer here for you on this edition of the athletic fantasy football podcast and he is daniel popper covering the los angeles chargers for us here at the athletic daniel what's going on not too much thanks for having me guys yeah thanks for joining us thanks for jumping on in a west coast morning and thanks for talking to us about the mike williams breakout that we are seeing are we seeing it i guess maybe is the way to say it two big games for mike williams two huge usage games two double digit target games is this the mike williams season we've been waiting for all these years yes as long as he can stay healthy and i tweeted this in the game on sunday you know he's gonna make himself a lot of money if he can Mm -hmm. stay healthy this season um but that's the key, right? Like if he can stay on the field, he's going to get targeted because he's playing the X position in this Saints offense, the same position that Michael Thomas played. I know we talked about this in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Joe Lombardi said, listen, this guy's going to get the ball and he's going to put up big stats. And that's what's happening here. And what you're seeing is they're utilizing Mike Williams in all areas of the field, right? He's not just a 50-50 ball guy deep down the field. They're using him in the intermediate area. They're using him in the short area. The touchdown he scored on Sunday was just a little swing pass. And he made a couple guys miss. Uh, and, and ran it in from 12 yards out. Um, and that's what you're seeing all over the field. And he's a huge part of this offense. Uh, and he, he will continue to be as long as he can stay healthy. And I actually looked at some numbers before I hopped on here. It's tied for second in the league among wide receivers and targets. Tied for fourth in the league among wide receivers and red zone targets. And tied for fourth in the league in receptions. And he's left stuff on the table here. Like he had a touchdown in that Washington game that he should have caught. That would have put him over 100 yards and would have been a second touchdown. If he catches that, you're talking about one of the top you know, wide receivers in fantasy football so far. And and that's what he's going to be capable of doing. And, and like I alluded to earlier, like if he continues to stay healthy and stay on the field, he's a, a free agent this offseason. And you're talking about a big time wide receiver contract coming his way. Yeah, for all the production for this offense from a fantasy perspective so far, it is surprising through two games, only 37 actual points on the scoreboard. So where is there room for improvement in this offense and completing drives and, and actually you know, doing damage on the scoreboard that matters to them, even though they're helping all of us? Right. So sixth in the league in yards per game, 26th in the league in points scored. And so you look at that discrepancy and you say, what, what's going on here? Well, they've only converted three of their 10 red zone trips into touchdowns. And that's really where this offense has to take the next step. Now that's, it's a little bit fluky because they have three red zone turnovers and two of those were just kind of just fluky. You know, one of them was a sack fumble that where Herbert got hit and the ball went like 
15 yards downfield and rolled out of, out of bounds. And the referees ruled it. This is against Washington, ruled it a sack fumble. I still don't really understand what they were looking at on that play. I don't know how a ball goes 15 yards downfield without it being a forward pass. They don't make that call. The Chargers get the ball back. They maybe score a touchdown there. Um, and then the interception Herbert threw on Sunday against Dallas. I mean, Keenan Allen fell over. And it's really tough because he's he has these a lot of these option routes in the offense. It's, and they call him a guidelines player as opposed to a rules player. So he just kind of freestyles out there. He gets to sort of do what he wants to do. And Herbert and him have such a strong connection. They talk so much and has such a firm understanding of what each of the other players trying to do that, you know, these are real timing routes. And so if a guy falls over, Herbert's trying to fit that ball into a tight window and it just ends up as an interception. So I think it's a little bit fluky. I think it'll improve the red zone offense as they go along just because they have so many weapons down there. I mean, it's not just Mike Williams. It's Jared Cook, Donald Parham, it's Austin Eckler. Even Keenan Allen is a great red zone receiver. So I expect that to improve. I think it's a little bit fluky here earlier in the season with a couple red zone turnovers, but something that definitely has to improve if this offense is going to get to where they want to go. Keenan Allen, or excuse me, Austin Eckler was another guy you and I talked about back in the summer as being a potential huge beneficiary from Joe Lombardi coming over and bringing him potentially into an Alvin Kamara style of role. And it certainly seems like that is the case through the first two weeks. He's got 70.6% of this team's running back carries, 64.2% of the team's running back routes run. Is it that all-you-can-eat sort of season for Austin Eckler the rest of the way? Absolutely. And, and the whole fantasy community was losing their minds about Austin Eckler, not just because of the injury, but then he got zero targets against Washington. Everyone's like, you told me he was going to be Alvin Kamara. What are you talking about? You don't know anything. I'm like, all right, relax. He ran pa- he ran routes on over 50% of Justin Herbert's uh-huh. dropbacks. Herbert was protected the whole day. He didn't have to check the ball down. Trust me, trust me, trust me. He's going to be fine. What does he do in the next game? Nine targets, nine receptions, makes an absolutely ridiculous one-handed catch in the red zone on a on a double move out of the slot, which is a receiver thing to do, not a running back thing to do. So everyone calm down. It's going to be okay. Austin Eckler is going to catch a ton of balls. And you saw it in this game. I mean, the protection broke down. Rashawn Slater didn't have as good of a game at left tackle. Storm Norton was a complete mess at right tackle, gave up nine pressures. Justin Herbert's running for his life. And what does he do? Checks the ball down to Austin Eckler a bunch. And I'm sure a lot of you guys out there who own Austin Eckler in fantasy won your matchups because of him this week. There you go. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be a huge factor. And and listen, like, this guy is a legitimate receiver. Like, go turn mm-hmm. on the tape and watch that double move he ran out of the slot. Like, that is an Alvin Kamara-type receiver route. Um, and that's what he's going to be doing this offense. He's lining up all over. I got to go check the PFF numbers. But that first week, he was in the, in the slot five times out wide once. I'm sure those numbers were even higher uh, against Dallas because I saw him moving a lot and they really tried to make him a more focal point of the offense. But yeah, Austin Eckler is going to be a big time fantasy player this season. 100%. Yeah. Loving the usage through these first two games for Eckler. Have you seen anything that has surprised you this season, either with this chargers offense, the way teams have tried to defend them, anything that's really just stood out to you in these first two games? Yeah, I think um, what stood out is just their ability to push the ball downfield. Like obviously, you know, you bring in an aggressive coach, in Brandon Sale, you bring in Joe Lombardi, who's running this Saints offense with a quarterback with a much stronger arm than Drew Brees had towards the tail end. And you and they say, OK, we're going to push the ball downfield. We're going to be really aggressive. But you really want to see it translate. Um, and what you're seeing here is they're taking advantage of Justin Herbert's arm. They are uh, third in the league, tied for third, with 17 explosive passes this season, 16 or more yards. And that's with two 30-yard passes called back for penalties in this last game. 
Um, so this is a really high octane offense. Like they are pushing the ball downfield. I think some people are looking at it and saying, okay, well, Herbert's not hitting the 65, 70 yard bombs to Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson. And so, oh, they're not pushing the ball downfield, but you watch the tape and you look at the, the numbers of these explosive plat passes, like they are really trying to push it down the field. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish by stock and all these chargers receivers and skill players because, uh, they are pushing the ball downfield. Oh, they got an opponent on uh, Sunday who wants to push the ball downfield as well. We just talked to Matt Barrows, our 49ers beat writer, about the marquee game he's going to get to see between the Packers and the 49ers. You've got one as well, Chargers and Chiefs. What are your early expectations for this matchup? Yeah, so this is one I had circled on the schedule because this will really be the first time that Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes face off in a game where both quarterback actually gets to prepare. (laughs) <laughs> because in week two of last year, obviously, Justin Herbert found out he was starting um, about 90 seconds before kickoff, <laughs> yeah. almost led them to a victory, which was shocking. And then in week 17 last year, Mahomes sat out because the Chiefs already clinched up everything for the playoffs. So I'm really fascinated to see these two go at it. I mean, it's going to be a, a really, really, really great matchup. But the key here is, OK, the Chargers defense philosophically is based on preventing explosive, explosive passes, and they've done it really well so far. I mean, you take out that. That end of weird end of half play where CeeDee Lamb almost pitched it to Ezekiel Elliott for a touchdown. They they only gave up one pass of 20 more yards against the Cowboys with Zach Martin back in there pass protecting, with CeeDee Lamb, with Amari Cooper, with Dak Prescott. That's really impressive. And they didn't have Derwin James playing safety. He was in the slot because Chris Harris was out. Um, so that's and they and obviously they were equally as good in that area against Washington. Does it translate against Patrick Mahomes, against Tyreek Hill, against Travis Kelsey? And the really interesting thing to me is this is a really different defensive scheme. But Gus Bradley, you go look at the numbers, he was one of the best defensive coordinators at defending the Chiefs in the league. Like, he was really, like, you go look at all of Patrick Mahomes' worst performances by yards per attempt, by QBR. Like, they all come against the Chargers and Gus Bradley just because he had a really good game plan in terms of preventing those explosive plays. It's a very different looking defense with more too high instead of single high from Brandon Staley. Can he find the same success that Gus Bradley did in terms of slowing down Patrick Mahomes and slowing down the explosive passes? That, to me, is the big matchup for this week. It'll be a lot of fun when these two teams get together both this week and in their second matchup later in the season and one that, you know, this is a fantasy show, Daniel. So it's a fun thing for you to think about as our Chargers beat writer, but we sort of hope neither defense slows anyone down in this game. We just see these two offenses go back and forth, back and forth. Uh, That's Daniel Popper, our Chargers beat writer here at The Athletic. Daniel, thanks again for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, DVR, let's wrap up the show by taking a look at week three waivers. Of course, you and I are sitting here doing this on Tuesday morning, so we'll all be doing this over the next 12, 14 hours or so. Not a slam dunk player the way that we had Eli Mitchell last week. There are a lot of different players we can go after, though, right? We don't have the quality of last week, but we have a much larger pool of quantity available to us. The first guy who I want to bring up to launch us into the discussion for week three waivers is Cordell Patterson. And it just seems like he's going to have that sort of Naeem Hines, uh, James White role in Atlanta's offense, which is going to be a thorn in the side. And Mike Davis, it's not going to totally take away his value. 
But the way I look at Cordero Patterson is if Naeem Hines and James White, if those guys have value in your league, then Cordero Patterson should be someone you go after. If those guys are sort of meh kind of players in your format, then you don't really need to go after Cordero Patterson. Yeah, and maybe there's a little more appeal in the event of a Mike Davis injury in that sure. Wayne Gallman is just a guy to me. Like mm-hmm. Cordero Patterson came into the league as an explosive player that could do a lot of things. And this might be one of his last opportunities to get 15 touches a game or even 20 touches a game if the Davis injury scenario unfolds. I'd expect more like 10 touches per game. Lots of ways you can get him involved. Um, kind of more of your your desperation. Hey, I lost a player this week and I got to throw someone in the flex spot sort of play. Uh, rosterable, not necessarily somebody that I'm looking to go overboard for. I think for most of this group, if you're in a league that uses fab, we're talking about guys that probably don't command much more than 5% of a full fab budget this week. Yeah, I would agree with that really across the board. And, you know, as excited as you can justifiably be about Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis is still third in the NFL in routes run among running backs. Only Ezekiel Elliott and Najee Harris have run more routes than Mike Davis. And Cordero Patterson's not really going to do it as a rusher. He had a rushing touchdown in week two for the Falcons against the Buccaneers. He had 11 yards on seven carries. So he's really not going to get that done. You're not going to count on a rushing touchdown while he gets seven carries and 11 yards happening every single week. He has to do it as a receiver. So that's why we say use Naeem Hines and James White as your guide when you're thinking about Cordero Patterson. And I think another guy who fits into that same sort of fit at DVR is J.D. McKissick. And I think we can make the argument, and in fact, our colleague Jake Seeley has made the argument in his waiver column this week, that J.D. McKissick gets a boost from Taylor Heineke because you're going to see more dump-offs to running backs with Taylor Heineke than you are ever going to see from Ryan Fitzpatrick, one of the least dump-it-off, check-it-down quarterbacks we have in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think McKissick does kind of fall into this Patterson-James White cluster of guys that has a pretty steady role. I think because of the you know, the lack of great options behind Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas, you, you could see McKissick kind of step into that third pass catcher option a lot of weeks. And I think a lot of what he does is, and, and players of this function in general, are they're game script dependent players. Washington, though, is a team that I think will be playing catch up on a semi-regular basis. They've got Buffalo on the road this week. You know, Maybe Atlanta in week four is not a good script for McKissick where you're kind of scaling down expectations there. But playing the Saints in week five, they could be chasing there. Playing the Chiefs in week six, they're probably going to be chasing they there. <laughs> in Green Bay in week seven, probably going to be playing probably from behind a little be. bit there too. So <laughs> those are all generally pretty good J.D. McKissick games. So I, I think as long as your expectations are that you know it, it's four to five catches and anything you get on the ground is really just a bonus – I think you're in a good place. And I think these players always fit better in full PPR formats. At least if you're in a half PPR league, he's rosterable there for sure because of the aforementioned lack of depth behind those top two pass catching options. Maybe things change a little bit when Curtis Samuel returns from his groin injury. And at least as you and I are talking, we have no reason to think it's going to be any later than the original week four timetable that was put on it. Maybe it is, but he probably loses a little bit of value there. On the flip side, another thing that's giving him maybe more utility is this Washington defense just has not lived up to its on-paper billing over the first two weeks of the season. They got really carved up by Daniel Jones and the Giants in week two, and that was still without a fully healthy Saquon Barkley. Uh, The Chargers could have had a better day, as we just talked about with Daniel Popper back in week one. So this uh, Washington defense maybe is going to put a little bit more pressure on the offense than we were expecting at the start of the season. Rondale Moore was someone who we talked about a lot toward the end of draft season DVR. And, you know, you can make the anti-Rondale Moore argument. The the anti-Rondale Moore argument is – 
He's still fourth on the team in targets. He's still fourth on the team in routes. He's fourth on the team in snap percentage. You know, he's behind A.J. Green by a pretty big distance, and he's still behind Christian Kirk by a smaller distance, but a distance nonetheless. And, you know, I think those are all points well taken. But then you could totally flip things around, and here's where I come in on the pro Rondale Moore side is as few routes as he's running, he's got 14 targets. I mean, when he is on the field, they want to get him the ball. They are, they have made that very clear. They made that clear in the preseason. That has carried over to the first two games. And then, oh yeah, just might be the best offense in football from a fantasy perspective. Just might be the league's most explosive offense with a defense that potentially is going to force it to play in a lot of high scoring games. Like I think you want to get Rondale Moore and this certainly is your last chance to do it. Yeah, I expect more most weeks than not in terms of attempts than what we've seen from the Cardinals so far today. This is a team that wants to throw the ball. I think they can sustain four pass catchers most weeks. I think because of that shootout potential, I'm still in on more. I think he is probably mostly on the outside looking in at lineups right now, depending on your situation at wide receiver. But he's the kind of player that benches are made for because if one of the Mm -hmm. guys ahead of him goes down, the target volume gets to a level where he becomes an every-week starter. And in the unfortunate event of a DeAndre Hopkins injury, Rondell Moore could be more of that league-winning sort of player because the volume goes up a lot more than if they lose one of their secondary options. So definitely a guy that you want to go after just because of the way this team is built and because I think there's still some concerns about how effectively they're going to run the ball. It's going to keep them a little more pass-happy, even in more neutral sorts of game scripts where they're not shooting out. I'm somewhat loath to call out Jake on a show that he's not on to defend himself and argue his own viewpoint, but you know, it's Jake. And also I gave him a little bit of credit uh, when we were just talking about Jaden McKissick. So I'll, I'll bring up a, a, something we talked about on Monday's episode of this show, me, Jake and Brandon Funston and me and Funston were arguing against Jake, him saying that, you know, Rondale Moore is, he said all those things about Rondale Moore being behind AJ Green, behind Christian Kirk and blah, 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 blah. And me and Funston both said, well, he's a rookie. Like y- you don't, give any credence to the possibility that the role grows as the season goes along. And he doesn't need an AJ green injury, for example, to get closer to AJ green in terms of snaps and routes run. He's totally hand waved us and we moved on. But <laughs> I don't, I want to get, What's your take on that? Cause I feel like, like, especially if he's showing this, like Rondale Moore is the type of player who Rondale Moore is not going to uh, play 90% of the snaps. He's just not that sort of player. And there's not that opportunity for him in Arizona's offense, even if he were that sort of player. But I could see a larger snap share for him as the season goes on, especially if he keeps putting up the sorts of big plays that we've seen from him now in both weeks. He's got 20-plus yard pass plays in both weeks of the season. Right. I mean, even with Hopkins and Kirk already there, they still spent a second-round pick on Rondell Moore. So I think your your belief that the role could grow just regardless of the health of the other receivers is legit like that that could happen too so you have multiple paths for that role to become uh, even better than it is right now and I, I think it's fair to wonder if in the long run if, if for just this season if more is just a better player than Christian Kirk Kirk's a nice mm-hmm. player but maybe Kirk's more of a role guy and more is a little bit more of a game breaker yeah I think that's definitely true Kirk always Kirk had that feeling coming into the season to me of one of those if it was going to happen it would have happened by now sorts of players and I don't know I just don't see a team being what the Cardinals were coming into this year and last year a six and three team that had wins over the Bills and the Seahawks and then fell apart in the second half of the season and missed out on the playoffs by one game that just didn't feel like the sort of team that would use a second round pick on a not obvious need player 
to save him for the next year. Like, I think there was always a plan to get Rondale more significantly involved this season. Again, this is almost certainly your last opportunity to get in on Rondale more as a fab player, because after this week, in most leagues, you're probably going to have to trade for him if you want him on your team. Henry Ruggs is a surprisingly available player, DBR, across the fantasy landscape. You know, when I was looking at his name, I was thinking that we could talk about him as, yeah, shallow league or, you know, 60%, 65% rostered. Uh, if you're in a shallower league, you know, with the way this Vegas offense is looking, he could definitely be worth a pickup. But sub 50%, really, no matter where you are playing your fantasy football is where you're going to see Henry Ruggs' roster rate sitting with what Derek Carr has done the first two weeks, with what this Vegas offense has done the first two weeks. And let's remember, Baltimore and then at Pittsburgh, this is not like they have rolled over a couple of bad defenses. It's time to take this pass game seriously. Yeah, and I made the quick decision to let him go in flex, which is going to either cost me a lot of fab or just cost me rugs entirely this week, so I'm not real happy about it. I made the decision based on the five targets in the opener. That was a game where Derek Carr played really well. Uh, I, I think with... The way Carr has looked through two weeks, I'm just more confident in the offense as a whole. We know Darren Waller is the true number one option in the passing yep, game in sure. Vegas, but they can sustain two or three altogether every single week in that group. And Ruggs, because he can stretch the field, doesn't need to get more than five to seven targets per week to be an impact fantasy player. So I was too quick to, to give him the drop after the five target showing in week one. I think what we saw against the tough Pittsburgh defense in week two is very encouraging. And I would say you could probably talk yourself into rugs as the best option of the receivers we've talked about so far because of the percentage of the target share possibly being larger week to week than what Rondell Moore is going to get with everybody currently healthy in Arizona. Yeah, Moore and Ruggs, to me, those are the two top receivers to be going after this week. There's a group that I would say is just anywhere between a step and a half and a half step behind them. It includes Tim Patrick, Quintez Cephas, KJ Osborne, Jalen Rager. Is there any of those guys as we wind up this episode DVR you want to make a case for? I think the Lions receiving core is such a mess that Cephas could continue to see plenty of targets, even as Tyrell Williams gets healthy and then they get some guys back and there's nothing is settled there. And I think that's the the main takeaway for me. So if you, you, you want to go into the three to 5% range and, and get a guy that could end up getting seven targets a game every single week and an offense that will probably have to throw a lot, like the, the lions play hard. Like that's the, the, the one takeaway for me yeah. from these first two weeks in this team, like they might not be very good on paper, especially defensively, but there's not a lot of quit in that team. And they're going to get lots of attempts on offense. They're going to be chasing games every single week. And Quintez Cephas, Quintez Cephas is one of the players that's going to benefit uh, as a result. It's a team that after watching them through two weeks, I wish I had an over ticket on on their win total over under. It was at like four and a half, or three and a half. I think it was at four and a half. And just they played the 49ers and the Packers. Like there's no shame in losing the games to those two teams that the way they did. And they're going to surprise some teams, I think, when they play some of the lesser competition in the NFL. Um, you know, Tim Patrick is a guy who, if you need like four catches for 39 yards and hope for a touchdown, Tim Patrick's your sort of guy. That's a nice enough player, but not someone who I'm going to go chase on waivers in week three. KJ Osborne has made a couple of big splash plays for the Vikings, but we still know that that offense is Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and then hope for the best. We've seen two of the best sorts of weeks from one of those other players in KJ Osborne, but I don't think it's something you can really rely on. So I'll just throw some love at Jalen Rager. We're talking about a much different situation if Jalen Rager doesn't have like half of his pinky toe accidentally hit out of bounds. Then he's looking at a touchdown. He's got 40-yard touchdown, something like that added to his stats. And it's not like 
stepping out of bounds is what got him that touchdown. It was just he sort of lost control of where he was running his route. So that was really a play that should have been there for Jalen Rager and will be for will be there for him in the future this season. And out of all the guys who aren't the ones that we've already named who aren't Moore or Ruggs or Cephas, you know, this is a guy who could turn into a regular start. Tim Patrick is a you know, break glass in case of bi-week starter or an injury sort of guy. Same goes, I think, for K.J. Osborne, and even there, probably deeper leagues. Jalen Rager's the one guy uh, in this lesser group, I think, who can really do with what he has and turn himself into something of a consistent starter still in deeper leagues, but not a guy who would need you to be, you know, uh, crushed by buys or injuries to get into your fantasy lineup. So Jalen Raker, another guy who I would look at, the sort of guy who I would place a contingency bid on should I miss out on Moore and Ruggs especially. Then maybe I'm looking down to Quintez Cephas and my guy right here, Jalen Rager. We thank you for looking to us on this Tuesday edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. For all of our beat writers who joined us, Jay Morrison, Daniel Popper, and Matt Barrows, and for my partner, Derek Van Riper as well, I am Michael Beller, the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, back with you on Wednesday with Nando DeFino, Brandon Marianne Lee, and Chris Vaccaro take over. You are not going to want to miss it. Thanks again for not missing this one either. We'll talk to you all soon. Have a great day.